we are also too apt to pit one minister against another and say, you should hear my minister. Perhaps we should, but it would be better for you to hear the man who edifies you and let others go where they also are instructed. He that winneth souls is wise. I do not ask you how he did it. He sang the gospel and you did not like it. If he won souls, he was wise. Soul winners have all their own ways, and if they do but win souls, they are wise. I will tell you what is not wise, and what will not be thought so at the last, namely, to go about the churches doing nothing yourself, and railing at all the Lord's useful servants. Here is a dear brother on his dying bed. He has the sweet thought that the Lord enables him to bring many souls to Jesus, in the expectation that when he comes to the gates that many spirits will come to meet him. They will throng the ascent to the new Jerusalem and welcome the man who brought them to Jesus. They are immortal monuments to his labors. He is wise. Here is another who has spent all his time in interpreting the prophecies so that everything he read of in the newspapers he could see in Daniel or the Revelation. He is wise, so many say, but I had rather spend my time in winning souls. I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unpick all the mysteries of the divine word, for salvation is the thing we are to live for. I would to God that I understood all mysteries, yet chief of all would I proclaim the mystery of soul-saving by faith in the blood of the Lamb. It is comparatively a small matter for a minister to have been a staunch upholder of orthodoxy all his days and to have spent himself in keeping up the hedges of his church. Soul winning is the main concern. It is a very good thing to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. But I do not think I should like to say in my last account, Lord, I have lived to fight the Romanists and the state church and to put down the various erroneous sects. But I never led a sinner to the cross. No, we will fight the good fight of faith, but the winning of the souls is the greater matter, and he who attends to it is wise. Another brother has preached the truth, but he did so polish up his sermons that the gospel was hidden. Never a sermon was fit to preach, he thought, until he had written it out a dozen times to see whether every sentence would be according to the canons of Cicero and Quintilian, and then he went and delivered the gospel as a grand oration. Is that wise? Well, it takes a wise man to be a thorough orator, but it is better not to be an orator if fine speech prevents your being understood. Let eloquence be flung to the dogs rather than souls be lost. What we want is to win souls, and they are not to be won by flowery speeches. We must have the winning of souls at heart, and be red-hot with zeal for their salvation. And then, however, much we blunder, according to the critics, we shall be numbered among those whom the Lord calls wise. Now, Christian men and women, I want you to take this matter up particularly, and to determine that you will try this very night to win a soul. Try the one next to you in the seat if you cannot think of anybody else. Try on the way home. Try with your own children. 
Have I not told you of what happened one Sunday night? In my sermon I said, Now you mothers, have you ever prayed with each of your children, one by one, and urged them to lay hold on Christ? Perhaps dear Jane is now in bed, and you have never yet pleaded with her about eternal things. Go home tonight, wake her up, and say, Jane, I am sorry. I have never told you about the Savior personally, and prayed with you, but I need to do it now. Wake her up, and put your arms round her neck, and pour out your heart to God with her. Well, there was a good sister here who had a daughter named Jane. What do you think? She came on Monday to bring her daughter Jane to see me in the vestry, for when she woke her up and began, I have not spoken to you about Jesus or something to that effect. Oh, dear mother, said Jane, I have loved the Savior these six months and wondered that you had not spoken to me about him. And then there was great kissing and rejoicing. Perhaps you may find that to be the case with a dear child at home. And if you do not, so much the more reason why you should begin at once to speak. Did you never win a soul for Jesus? You shall have a crown in heaven, but no jewels in it. You will go to heaven childless. And you know how it was in the old times, how the woman dreaded lest they should be childless. Let it be so with Christian people. Let them dread being spiritually childless. We must hear the cries of those whom God has given to be born unto himself by our means. We must hear them or else cry out in anguish, Give me converts or I die. Young men and old men and sisters of all ages, if you love the Lord, get a passion for souls. Do you not see them? They are going down to hell by thousands. As often as the hand upon the dial completes its circuit, Hell devours multitudes, some of them ignorant of Christ and others willfully rejecting him. The world lies in darkness. This great city still pines for the light. Your own friends and kinfolk are unsaved, and they may be dead ere this week is over. Oh, if you have any humanity, let alone Christianity, if you have found the remedy, tell the diseased about it. If you have found life, Proclaim it to the dead. If you have found liberty, publish it to the captives. If you have found Christ, tell of him to others. My brethren in the college, let this be your choice work while studying, and let it be the one object of your lives when you go forth from us. Do not be content when you get a congregation, but labor to win souls. And as you do this, God will bless you. As for us, we hope during the rest of our lives to follow him who is the soul winner and to put ourselves in his hands who maketh us soul winners so that our life may not be a long folly but may be proved by results to have been directed by wisdom. O you souls not one to Jesus, remember that faith in Christ saves you. Trust in him. May you be led to trust in him for his name's sake. Amen. Chapter 12, page 80. So winning explained. The text does not say, He that winneth sovereigns is wise, though no doubt he thinks himself wise, and perhaps in a certain groveling sense in these days of competition 
he must be so. But such wisdom is of the earth and ends with the earth. And there is another world where the currencies of Europe will not be accepted, nor their past possessions be any sign of wealth or wisdom. Solomon in the text before us awards no crown of wisdom to crafty statesmen or even to the ablest of rulers. He issues no diplomas even to philosophers, poets, or men of wit. He crowns with laurel only those who win souls. He does not declare that he who preaches is necessarily wise, and alas, there are multitudes who preach and gain much applause and eminence, who win no souls, and shall find it go hard with them at the last, because in all probability they have run, and the Master has never sent them. Solomon does not say that he who talks about winning souls is wise, since to lay down rules for others is a very simple thing, but to carry them out oneself is far more difficult. He who actually, really and truly turns men from the error of their ways to God and so is made the means of saving them from going down to hell is a wise man, and that is true of him, whatever his style of soul winning may be. He may be a Paul, deeply logical, profound in doctrine, able to command all candid judgments, and if he thus wins souls, he is wise. He may be an Apollos, grandly rhetorical, whose lofty genius soars into the very heaven of eloquence. And if he wins souls in that way, he is wise, but not otherwise. Or he may be a Cephas, rough and rugged, using uncouth metaphor in stern declamation. But if he wins souls, he is no less wise than his polished brother or his argumentative friend, but not else. The great wisdom of soul winners, according to the text, is proven only by their actual success in really winning souls. To their own master they are accountable for the ways in which they go to work, not to us. Do not let us be comparing and contrasting this minister with that. Who art thou that judges another man's servants? Wisdom is justified in all her children. Only children wrangle about incidental methods. Men look at sublime results. Do these workers of many sorts and diverse manners win souls? Then they are wise, and you who criticize them, being yourselves unfruitful, cannot be wise, even though you affect to be their judges. God proclaims soul winners to be wise, dispute it who dare. This degree from the college of heaven may surely stand them in good stead let their fellow mortals say what they will of them he that winneth souls is wise and this can be seen very clearly he must be a wise man in every ordinary respects who can by grace achieve so divine a marvel great soul winners never have been fools a man whom God qualifies to win souls could probably do anything else which providence might allot him. Take Martin Luther, for instance. Why, sirs, the man was not only fit to work a reformation, but he could have ruled a nation or have commanded an army. Think of Whitfield and remember that the thundering eloquence which stirred all England 
was not associated with a weak judgment or an absence of brain power. The man was a master orator, and if he had addicted himself to commerce, would have taken a chief place amongst the merchants, or had he been a politician amid admiring senates, would have commanded their listening ear. He that winneth souls is usually a man who could have done anything else if God had called him to it. I know the Lord uses what means he will, but he always uses means suitable to the end. And if you tell me that David slew Goliath with a sling, I answer it was the best weapon in the world to reach so tall a giant, and the very fittest weapon that David could have used, for he had been skilled in it from his youth up. There is always an adaptation in the instruments which God uses to produce the ordained result. And though the glory is not to them, nor the excellence in them, but all is to be ascribed to God, yet is there a fitness and preparedness which God seeth, even if we do not. It is assuredly true that soul winners are by no means idiots or simpletons, but such as God maketh wise for himself, so vainglorious wise acres may dub them fools. He that winneth souls is wise, because he has selected a wise object. I think it was Michelangelo who once carved certain magnificent statues in snow. They are gone, the material readily compacted by the frost as readily melted in the heat. Far wiser was he when he finished the enduring marble and produced works which will last all down the ages. But even marble itself is consumed and fretted by the tooth of time, and he is wise who selects for his raw material immortal souls, whose existence shall outlast the stars. If God shall bless us to the winning of souls, our work shall remain when the wood and hay and stubble of earth's art and science shall have gone to the dust from which they sprang. In heaven itself the soul winner, blessed of God, shall have memorials of his work preserved forever in the galleries of the skies. He hath selected a wise object, for what can be wiser than to glorify God, and what next to that can be wiser than in the highest sense to bless our fellow men, to snatch a soul from the gulf that yearns, to lift it up to the heaven that glorifies, to deliver an immortal from the thaldron of Satan, and to bring him into the liberty of Christ. What more excellence than this? I say that such an aim would commend itself to all right minds, and that angels themselves may envy us poor sons of men that we are permitted to make this our life object, to win souls for Jesus Christ. Wisdom herself assents to the excellencies of the design. To accomplish such a work a man must be wise, for to win a soul requires infinite wisdom. God himself wins not souls without wisdom, for the eternal plan of salvation was dictated by an infallible judgment and in every line of it infinite skill is apparent. Christ, God's great soul winner, is the wisdom of God as well as the power of God. 
there is in much wisdom to be seen in the new creation as in the old. In a sinner saved, there is as much of God to be beheld as in a universe rising out of nothing. And we then, who are to be workers together with God, proceeding side by side with him to the great work of soul winning, must be wise too. It is a work which filled the Savior's heart, a work which moved the mind of the eternal Jehovah, or ever the earth was. It is no child's play, nor a thing to be achieved while we are half asleep, nor to be carried on without gracious help from the only wise God, our Savior. The pursuit is wise. Mark ye well, my brethren, that he who is successful in soul winning will prove to have been a wise man in the judgment of those who seek the end as well as the beginning. Even if I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might under God, to be a soul winner, for never did I know perfect, overflowing, unutterable happiness of the purest and most ennobling order till I first heard of one who had sought and found a Savior through my means. I recollect the thrill of joy which went through me. No young mother ever rejoiced so much over her firstborn child. No warrior was so exultant over a hard-won victory. Oh, the joy of knowing that a sinner, once at enmity, has been reconciled to God by the Holy Spirit through the words spoken by our feeble lips. Since then, by grace given to me, the thought of which prostrates me in self-abasement, I have seen and heard of not hundreds only, but even thousands of sinners turned from the error of their ways by the testimony of God in me. Let afflictions come, let trials be multiplied as God willeth, still this joy preponderates above all others, the joy that we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ in every place, and that as often as we preach the word, hearts are unlocked, bosoms heave with a new life, eyes weep for sin, and their tears are wiped away as they see the great substitute for sin and live. Beyond all controversy, it is a joy with worlds to win souls, and thank God it is a joy that does not cease with this mortal life. It must be no small bliss to hear as one wings his flight up to the eternal throne, the wings of others fluttering at one side towards the same glory, and turning round and questioning them to hear them say, We are entering with you through the gates of pearl. You brought us to the Savior, and to be welcomed to the skies by those who call us Father in God, Father in better bonds than those of earth, Father through grace and sire of immortality. It will be bliss beyond compare to meet in yon eternal seats with those begotten of us in Christ Jesus, for whom we travail in birth, till Christ was formed in them the hope of glory. This is to have many heavens, a heaven in every one, one for Christ, according to the Master's promise, they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars for ever and ever.
I have said enough, brethren. I trust to make some of you desire to occupy the position of soul winners. But before I further address myself to my text, I should like to remind you that the honor does not belong to ministers only. They may take their full share of it, but it belongs to every one of you who have devoted yourselves to Christ. Such honor have all the saints. Every man here, every woman here, every child here whose heart is right with God may be a soul winner. There is no man placed by God's providence where he cannot do some good. There is not a glow worm under a hedge but gives a needed light, and there is not a laboring man, a suffering woman, a servant girl, a chimney sweeper, or a crossing sweeper, but has some opportunities for serving God. And what I have said of soul winners belongs not to the learned doctor of divinity or to the eloquent preacher alone, but to you all who are in Christ Jesus. You can, each of you, if grace enables you, be thus wise and win the happiness of turning souls to Christ through the Holy Spirit. I am about to dwell upon my text in this way. He that winneth souls is wise. I shall first make the fact stand out a little clearer by explaining the metaphor used in the text, winning souls, and then secondly, by giving you some lessons in the matter of soul winning, through which I trust the conviction will be forced upon each believing mind that the work needs the highest wisdom. 1. First, let us consider the metaphor used in the text, He that winneth souls is wise. We use the word win in many ways. It is sometimes found in very bad company, in those games of chance, juggling tricks in sleight of hand or thimble rigging to use a plain word by which shoppers are so fond of winning. I am sorry to say that much of the sleight of hand and trickery are to be met with in the religious world. Why, there are those who pretend to save souls by certain tricks, intricate maneuvers and dexterous posture making a basin of water, half a dozen drops, certain syllables, hey presto, the infant is made a child of God, a member of Christ, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. This aqueous regeneration surpasses my belief. It is a trick which I do not understand. The initiated only can perform the beautiful piece of magic which excels anything ever attempted by the wizard of the north. There is a way, too, of winning souls by laying hands upon heads. Only the elbow of the aforesaid hands must be encased in lawn, and then the machinery acts, and there is grace conferred by blessed fingers. I must confess I do not understand the occult science, but at this I need not wonder, for the profession of saving souls by such juggling can only be carried out by certain favored persons who have received apostolical succession, direct from Judas Iscariot. This Episcopal confirmation, when men pretend that it confers grace, is an infamous piece of juggling. The whole thing 
is an abomination. Only to think that in this 19th century there should be men who preach up salvation by sacraments and salvation by themselves, forsooth. Why, sirs, it is surely too late in the day to come to us with this drivel. Priestcraft, let us hope, is an anachronism and a sacramental theory out of date. These things might have done for those who could not read and in the days when books were scarce. But ever since the day when the glorious Luther was helped by God to proclaim with thunder claps the emancipating truth by grace are ye saved through faith in that not of yourselves it is the gift of God there has been too much slight for these popish owls let them go back to the ivy mantled towers and complain to the moon of those who spoiled of old the kingdom of darkness let shaven crowns go to Bedlam in scarlet hats to the scarlet harlot but let not Englishmen yield them respect modern tractarianism is a bastard popery too mean too shiftly too double dealing to delude men of honest minds if we win souls it shall be by other arts than Jesuits and monks can teach us trust not in any man who pretends to priesthood priests are liars by trade and deceivers by profession we cannot save souls in their theoretical way and do not want to do so for we know that with such jugglery as that Satan will hold the best hand and laugh at priests as he turns the cards against them at the last how do we win souls then why the word win has a better meaning far it is used in warfare warriors win cities and provinces now to win a soul is a much more difficult thing than to win a city observe the earliest soul winner at his work how cautiously he seeks his great captain's directions to know when to hang out the white flag to invite the heart to surrender to the sweet love of a dying savior when at the proper time to hang out the black flag of threatening showing that if grace be not received judgment will surely follow and when to unfurl with dread reluctance the red flag of the terrors of God against stubborn impenitent souls the soul winner has to sit down before a soul as a great captain before a walled town to draw his lines of circumvallation to cast up his entrenchments and fix his batteries he must not advance too fast or he may overdo the fighting he must not move too slowly or he may seem not to be in earnest and may do mischief then he must know which gate to attack how to plant his guns at ear gate and how to discharge them how sometimes to keep the batteries going day and night with red hot shot if perhaps he may make a breach in the walls at other times to lie by and cease firing and then on a sudden to open all the batteries with terrific violence if peradventure he may take the soul by surprise or cast in a truth when it was not expected 
to burst like a shell in the soul and do damage to the dominions of sin. The Christian soldier must know how to advance by little and little, to sap that prejudice, to undermine that old enmity, to blow into the air that lust, and at the last to storm the citadel. It is his to throw the scaling ladder up and to have his ears gladdened as he hears a clicking on the wall of the heart telling that the scaling ladder has grasped and has gained firm hold and then with his saber between his teeth to climb up, spring on the man, slay his unbelief in the name of God, capture the city, run up the blood-red flag of the cross of Christ and say, The heart is one, one for Christ at last. This needs a warrior well trained, a master in his art. After many days attack, many weeks of waiting, many an hour of storming by prayer and battering by entreaty, to carry the Malakoff of depravity, this is the work, this is the difficulty. It takes no fool to do this. God's grace must make a man wise thus to capture man's soul, to lead its captivity captive and open wide the heart's gate that the prince Emmanuel may come in. This is winning a soul. The word win was commonly used among the ancients to signify winning in the wrestling match. When the Greek sought to win the laurel or the ivy crown, he was compelled a long time before to put himself through a course of training, and when he came forth at last, stripped for the encounter, he had no sooner exercised himself in the first few efforts than you saw how every muscle and every nerve had been developed in him. He had a stern opponent, and he knew it, and therefore left none of his energy unused. While the wrestling was going on, you could see the man's eye, how he watched every motion, every feign of his antagonist, and how his hand, his foot, and his whole body were thrown into the encounter. He feared to meet with a fall. He hoped to give one to his foe. Now a true soul-winner has often to come to close quarters with the devil within men. He has to struggle with their prejudice, with their love of sin, with their unbelief, with their pride, and then again, all of a sudden, to grapple with their despair. At one moment he strives with their self-righteousness. At the next moment with their unbelief in God. Ten thousand arts are used to prevent the soul winner from being conqueror in the encounter, but if God has sent him, he will never renounce his hold of the soul he seeks till he has given a throw to the power of sin and won another soul for Christ. Besides that, there is another meaning to the word win, upon which I cannot expatiate here. We use the word, you know, as a softer sense than these which have been mentioned when we come to deal with hearts. There are secret and mysterious ways by which those who love win the object of their affection, which are wise in their fitness to the purpose. I cannot tell you how the lover wins his fond one, but experience has probably taught you. 
The weapons of this warfare is not always the same, yet where that victory is won, the wisdom of the means becomes clear to every eye. The weapon of love is sometimes a look, or a soft word whispered and eagerly listened to. Sometimes it is a tear, but this I know that we have, most of us in our turn, cast around another heart a chain which that other would not care to break and which has linked us twain in a blessed captivity which has cheered our life. Yes, and that is very nearly the way in which we have to save souls. That illustration is nearer the mark than any of the others. Love is the true way of winning souls. For when I spoke of storming the walls, and when I spoke of wrestling, those were but metaphors. But this is near the fact. We win by love. We win hearts for Jesus by love, by sympathy with their sorrow, by anxiety lest they should perish, by pleading with God for them with all our hearts that they should not be left to die unsaved, by pleading with them for God that, for their own sake, they would seek mercy and find grace. Yes, sirs, there is a spiritual wooing, a winning of hearts for the Lord Jesus, and if you would learn the way, you must ask God to give you a tender heart and sympathizing soul. I believe that much of the secret of soul winning lies in having bowels of compassion in having spirits that can be touched with the feelings of human infirmities. Carve a preacher out of granite, and even if you give him an angel's tongue, he will convert nobody. Put him into the most fashionable pulpit, make his elocution faultless, and his matter profoundly orthodox, but so long as he bears within his bosom a hard heart, he can never win a soul. Soul-saving requires a heart that beats hard against the ribs. It requires a soul full of milk of human kindness. This is the sign quo non of success. This is the chief natural qualification for a soul winner, which, under God and blessed of him, will accomplish wonders. I have not looked at the Hebrew of the text, but I find, and you have marginal references to your Bibles, will find that it is, He that taketh souls is wise, which word refers to fishing or to bird catching. Every Sunday, when I leave my house, as I come along, I cannot help seeing men with their cages and their captive birds trying all around the common in the fields to catch poor little wobblers. They understand the method of alluring and entrapping their victims. Soul winners might learn much from them. We must have our lures for souls adapted to attract, to fascinate, to grasp. We must go forth with our bird lime, our decoys, our nets, our baits, so that we may but catch the souls of men. Their enemy is a fowler possessed of the basest and most astounding cunning. We must outwit him with the guile of honesty, the craft of grace. But the art is to be learned only by divine teaching, and herein we must be wise and willing to learn. The man who takes fish must also have some art in him, 
Washington Irving, I think it is, tells us of some three gentlemen who had read in Isaac Walton all about the delights of fishing, so they must needs enter upon the same amusement, and accordingly they became disciples of the gentle art. They went into New York and bought the best rods and lines that could be purchased, and they found out the exact fly for the particular day or month, so that the fish might bite at once, and, as it were, fly into the basket with quickness. They fished and fished and fished, the live-long day, but the basket was empty. They were getting disgusted with a sport that had no sport in it, when a ragged boy came down from the hills without shoes or stockings and humiliated them to the last degree. He had a bit of a bowl pulled off a tree and a piece of string and a bent pin. He put a worm on it, threw it in, and out came a fish directly, as if it were a needle drawn to a magnet. And again went the line, and out came another fish, and so on, till his basket was quite full. They asked him how he did it. Ah, he said, he could not tell him that, but it was easy enough when you had the way of it. Much the same is it in fishing for men. Some preachers who have silk lines and fine rods preach very eloquently and exceedingly gracefully, but they never win souls. I know not how it is, but another man comes with very simple language, but with a warm heart, and straightway men are converted to God. Surely there must be a sympathy between the minister and the souls he would win. God gives those whom he makes soul winners a natural love to their work and a spiritual fitness for it. There is a sympathy between those who are to be blessed and those who are to be the means of blessing, and very much by the sympathy under God souls are taken. But it is as clear as noonday that to be a fisher of men a man must be wise. He that winneth souls is wise. 2. And now, brethren and sisters, you who are engaged in the Lord's work from week to week, and who seek to win men's souls to Christ, I am in the second place to illustrate this by telling you of some of the ways by which souls are to be won. The preacher himself wins souls best, I believe, when he believes in the reality of his work, when he believes in instantaneous conversions. How can he expect God to do what he does not believe God will do? He succeeds best who expects conversion every time he preaches. According to his faith, so shall it be done unto him. To be content without conversions is the surest way never to have them. To drive with a single aim entirely at the saving of souls is the surest method of usefulness. If we sigh and cry till men are saved, saved they will be. He will succeed best who keeps closest to soul-saving truth. Now all truth is not soul-saving, though all truth may be edifying. He that keeps to the simple story of the cross tells men over and over again that whosoever believeth in Christ is not condemned, and that to be saved nothing is wanted but a simple trust in the crucified Redeemer. He whose ministry is much made up 
of the glorious story of the cross, the sufferings of the dying Lamb, the mercy of God, the willingness of the Great Father to receive returning prodigals. He who cries, in fact, from day to day, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He is likely to be a soul winner, especially if he adds to this much prayer for souls, much anxious desire that men may be brought to Jesus, and then in his private life seeks as much as is in his public ministry to be telling out to others of the love of the dear Savior to men. But I am not talking to ministers, but to you who sit in the pew, and therefore to you let me turn myself more directly. Brothers and sisters, you have different gifts. I hope you use them all. Perhaps some of you, though members of the church, think you have none, but every believer has his gift in his portion of work. What can you do to win souls? Let me recommend to those who think they can do nothing the bringing of others to hear the word. That is a duty much neglected. I can hardly ask you to bring anybody here, but many of you attend other places which are not perhaps half filled. Fill them. Do not grumble at the small congregation, but make it larger. Take somebody with you to the very next sermon, and at once the congregation will be increased. Go up with the prayer that your minister's sermon may be blessed, and if you cannot yourselves preach, yet by bringing others under the sound of the word, you may be doing what is next best. This is a very commonplace and simple remark, but let me press it upon you, for it is of great practical value. Many churches and chapels, which are almost empty, might soon have large audiences, if those who profit by the word would tell others about the blessing they have received, and induce them to attend the same ministry especially in this London of ours, where so many will not go up to the house of God. Persuade your neighbors to come forth to the place of worship. Look after them. Make them feel that it is a wrong thing to stop at home on the Sunday from morning till night. I do not say upbraid them. That does little good. But I do say entice them. Persuade them. Let them have your tickets for the tabernacle, for instance, sometimes, or stand in the aisles yourself and let them have your seat. Get them under the word, and who knoweth what may be the result. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, 
Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.